All right, Dancing Queen, what are we talking about tonight? Hello and welcome to Messages and Methods. I'm your host, Shelly Carney. And I'm your uh, her co-host, Toby Yunus. That's right. Tonight, we're going to be talking about Toby and how he has become the go-to guy for people with tech problems. Since I was about five, I think. <laughs> now we're going to talk all about it. Story time. If you are in your 50s or older, we've got something wonderful to share with you. Do you want to produce a live stream, podcast, and blog to quickly expand your brand and business? Or would you like to visit with us, tell us your story and share your message with the world? Experience Messages and Methods live stream podcast with Shelley Carney and Toby Eunice. Every week we come together to discuss topics related to encore entrepreneurs, content marketing, live streaming video, podcasting, and blogging. We share stories, experiences, and knowledge to help others in their journey to creating a highly visible online presence. Subscribe today and become a part of our treasured community. Reducing anxiety. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Fixing frustration. Fixing frustrations. <laughs> That's what we do. We do it all, man. We do it all. Are you ready to start? I'm ready whenever you are. You're all the right. boss. All I'm right. just here for the... So driving. tonight's about you, about your story. And uh, I'm going to tell why. First, I'm going to say why we're doing this. Why are we talking about this? One of the things that we offer as a team, AGK Media Studio, is troubleshooting technology. Getting your tech to work, right? A lot of times people... They'll talk to coaches and friends and they'll watch YouTube videos and they'll uh, watch other people on, you know, podcasting and, and, and look into Facebook groups and ask people, what do you use for equipment or this or that? And they end up piecemealing their studio equipment together. Sometimes it doesn't integrate well, right? Sometimes they're using software because it was free when if they'd pay a little bit more every month, uh, they would have saved themselves a whole lot of time and headaches and frustration. So what we're trying to do is explain that we can help you with your tech problems because we have a tech expert over here who is troubleshooting all the time. We did a lot of troubleshooting last week. On our own. Uh, on our own products and our own, we're having our own issues, right? And we have to solve them all the time. That's how come we know we can do this. But number two, the reason we got into this business is because people were coming to Toby anyway, um, all his life, asking him for help because he always kept uh, on the front lines, on the front edge of technology and what was coming out and what's new and how does it work. And he wanted to learn it all and know it all. And he ended up being the go-to guy. But we're going to get into his story instead of me telling it. We're going to have him tell it. Uh, so how, Toby, how did you become the go-to guy for people with tech problems? So long story short, because I'm going to make a short story long in just a minute. <laughs> okay. Long story short, it's the result of 
two things. Uh, number one, um, ever since I left military service in 1974, uh, I have been an independent contractor. Even when I was working with the National Security Agency, I worked pretty much on my own. And uh, I liked it that way, and the people that I worked for liked it they, that way. They were okay. As I got into my own business, it was a one-person business. And I pitched it that way, and I had, I had the benefit of it. I had a lot of benefits. Veteran, um, Hispanic, uh, disabled veteran, uh, top-secret clearance. Mm. So that gave me an in with agencies that uh, that had those requirements, mm -hmm. almost made them requirements uh, for those opportunities that only required one person. Uh, you know, it was a one person job and they needed the one person that could do that job. So it worked out really well for me. And but because I was a single person. I had to solve all my own problems. I didn't have an administrative assistant back at the office in on K Street in Washington that I could call and say, hey, uh, my flight for the next, all the flights have been canceled for the next three days. I need to move from where I am right now in Jeddah to someplace else. Mm -hmm. You know, I had to solve those problems myself. There was no, there was no backup. And you didn't have an IT department of right. So you, you and it was it and you looked at it. If you consider what I was doing, um, I didn't have an audio guy. I didn't have a lighting guy. I didn't have a camera guy. I didn't have a director. I didn't have a producer. I didn't have a logistics person. I didn't have a travel person. I didn't have any of those things. Nor honestly would I have I wanted one because there were several times in my career that I had to make decisions that said, do I need to grow this business? Mm -hmm. Don't I need this person? Mm -hmm. And what was interesting about it is a lot of the jobs that I was recruited to do were based on the fact that I didn't have any corporate baggage, mm -hmm. right? I was one guy. They knew where I was all the time. They didn't have to call anybody else. I had half the time I was carrying when, it, when they were made available. I had a satellite phone um, so that they could reach out to me directly, you know. So that was the first part. The first part was I didn't have much of a choice because I didn't have anybody else. I had to solve my own problems. Whether, it, like I said, whether it was a technical problem, a logistics problem, a financial problem, I had to do them all. And I got really good at it. So because they were constantly coming up and I knew that, you know, the, the nice thing about problems is that they are predictable, meaning, you know, there are, go there's nothing that runs perfect in that world. You're going in to have problems, <laughs> yeah, in, in, especially in that world, because you don't have a lot of outside support anyway. It's a very closed community. So that was the first thing. The second thing is there's a part of my, and, and I don't mean to sound like I'm going to brag. This is not bragging or even kind of talking uh, out of, out of, what do you call it? Out of turn. Um, I've always enjoyed helping people. So when I know something and someone needs help in that area, I have no problem helping them. And so now, not only was I solving my own problems, but I was solving other people's problems. And that gave me a whole new portfolio of problems that I may not have had experience with, except that someone asked me to help. And after a while, there was a point at which in my lengthy 35-year career, I was the troubleshooting guy. And I will take this all back to that conversation that you guys have heard more than once about 
that I that I had with that command, the youngest command sergeant major in the army, and I asked the question uh, out of turn, uh, why, how did you become the youngest command sergeant major? And basically, he said, I took. And I'm I'm going to use his word. This was his word, not mine. He took. He said, I took every shit job that nobody else wanted. And that's kind of where I was at. I took every job that nobody else wanted. And after a while, I got a reputation for the guy that would take the job that nobody else wanted. And the reason nobody else wanted it is because they knew there were going to be a lot of problems with it. The reason I took it was because I was confident that I could solve those problems. So it was a combination of facing the problems on my own because I had to, to make a business out of it. Um, and then my my, I don't know if it's willingness, but my being okay with helping other people, sometimes even when they were competitors. There isn't a lot of competition in that market anyway. So when you're helping someone, you're helping usually someone who's going to compete with you for the next contract, for the next sole source, the next not sole source, but the sole person contract. So uh, I think it was those two things. And and I just made a career of it. You and I have known each other since um, since the days at uh, when we were making the television program, uh, Spanish colonial art and artists. And that was a real problem solver because for as good as that film program was at CNM, uh, they knew nothing about television production, even though they had literally a room full of technical equipment to do it. You know, it was mm -hmm. just never used that way. That wasn't how they were. That's not what a film program does. You don't mm -hmm. teach people television. They're minded. They, I, and I'm not even sure how they ended up with the equipment. What's his name? Uh, what was your, your the film program? He had kind of a funny name. You mean Grub? Grub. But I think yeah. it was Jim. The, and we're not Jim. Yeah. It was the other guy. Yeah, I that was the, the head right of the now. program. <laughs> and I asked him one time, mm -hmm. so why do you yeah. have all that? Uh, television production equipment. He said, yeah. well, one day we're going to start a, a TV production, mm -hmm. you know, program mm -hmm. uh, in there. Um, it was the other guy. And he also ordered equipment for West. Remember him? Yeah. He, he That's right. got a hold of that equipment because he used to work in television. Right. Yeah. So uh, it was interesting because I was recruited by an organization called West uh, because they had the same problem. They had this big investment in a massive production studio, including, you know, an infinite wall green screen and lighting that you could have, I used to say, you could have put this lighting at Pope Joy Hall and uh, it didn't work. It, it had never been used. And so they hired me to get it to the point where it was usable. Uh, and I hired a team. Were you on that? You were on that team. No, right? it was Sean and Sue. Oh, Sean and Sue. That's right. Yeah. Anyway, so it's always been problems uh, that have been presented that I've had to troubleshoot in order to solve learning along the way. And one of the benefits of doing it that way is once you've done it once, you don't forget the next time. You, you, and you develop a series of, you know, you develop a series of tools that enable you to uh, troubleshoot those problems with confidence. So do we have a... Just say hi. Hi. Shots. So tell us a little about um, what what you did in your position at UPublic, how you got the position, uh, what you did in that position, and what sorts of uh, troubleshooting were necessary for you to, to uh, accomplish in that position. So uh, UPublic had taken over the contract for the public access station in Albuquerque. 
there's only one public access station. And I don't know how much you, they're not, they're not public television stations. Public access stations were a byproduct of the fact that cable television was coming in and uh, each cities were making deals with the cable television that said a certain amount of their profit had to be put into a channel for public access that anybody could use that channel. And if you, you still have them in your towns, some of them are very good and have great reputations. I've worked for several of them. Others are just like, Ooh, whoa, that was really bad. Now, is that different than say a uh, government, like small town, gov like our Rio Rancho, they have the government they channel. Record, right. They record the, the city council meetings. They, they, so generally speaking, anytime a cable company came in, to a, let's use Rio Rancho as an example. A cable company would come in, Rio Rancho has to agree to, because they're a utility at that point, right? Mm -hmm. Rio Rancho has, them, them, well, that's why there's only one, right? More recently, they're allowing multiples because it's a lot easier to do it. But back then, it was Comcast would come in, they'd make right. a deal with Rio Rancho. Rio Rancho would say, okay, you will be allowed to install your services in our community. Uh, under the following conditions, you will pay us this much in taxes, taxed on this base, and you will provide access to at least two stations. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's more. The I worked in San Francisco, and they had 17 public access mm -hmm. channels. Miami had 14. So the bigger cities always had more. In mm -hmm. Albuquerque, we had three one of which was never used because it was supposed to be a Spanish uh, version and mm -hmm. they just couldn't get it running. Mm -hmm. But there was the government channel where they played the uh, council meetings and mm -hmm. things like that. Uh, and then there was the public access channel where anybody could come in and, and make a show on whatever they wanted, literally. Right. And it covered the range and it mm -hmm. was, it went from okay to really, really bad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I know that with, within your time frame there that you were all, working together to bring the quality up. Right. So the, it, it wasn't, it, so it was a couple of things. It was a matter of quality and quantity mm -hmm. because they weren't filling the channel, right. you know, out of the 24 hours a day available channel, uh, they were getting two to three hours worth of programming a, a day. Yeah. And it wasn't consistent because everybody would, you know, someday we'd come in, we'd have a crew, we'd get, you know, I right. say we, the, the people who were there. Well, I'm not even sure. Or they how would use the same programming over and over again, such as the Retablo. Right. And the, the Anything that we did. And my uh, joysticks right. that I gave them. So, and yeah. I think what happened is when I found out that you public had taken over and they were looking for programming, I got the idea for, uh, I was already doing New Mexico tunes. I Was I doing Retablos as well? I don't remember. We were already doing Jason and or Sean's programming mm -hmm. when it was still uh, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. And we were doing it at, at, uh, at the government offices studio. Mm. There was a studio in the government offices in the big government building. I didn't even know that 500 or 506 uh, Central Avenue existed. Didn't even right. know that. So we were, uh, I had a meeting with uh, Rick and John, mm -hmm. and they asked what they could do to help me. And, you know, we, we want you to stay on, continue doing uh, Sean's show and Jason's show. What could we do to help? And I said, get me a real studio with multiple cameras so I don't have to set it up each time because right. that's what I had to do. Mm. Uh, and at the time, we weren't, we, we didn't, we, the only equipment 
that was being used was the equipment that I had. The only mm-hmm. thing they basically provided is a is a, a room and some lighting. Mm-hmm. Everything else on those programs was my equipment. Mm-hmm. And so they said, what could we do to help? And they said, well, we have this one studio, this one facility. Mm-hmm. Tell me when I'm getting long story, short story long. No, it's good. I had this, they had this one facility. I'm reliving said, it <laughs> as you're telling it. They had this one facility and, um, uh, if I would be interested in working in the facility, I said, absolutely. Can I take a look at it? And so uh, they they gave me the keys to go over. And I looked at it, of course, there was literally dust on the on these very expensive Panasonic cameras. Oh, yeah. There was dust. Every, they hadn't been yeah. used. They hadn't been moved. Oh. They hadn't been tested. It was just like, I don't even know if this is going to work. Yeah. So I went back to them and I said, I'd love to be able to help, but you're at a point where you need to invest some time and effort into doing that. And so uh, they said, okay. And I guess they finally went over and checked it out because up until that time they hadn't either. And a couple of days later, they got me a call and they said, how would you like to, how would you like to rebuild that studio, re-engineer that studio so it's working and then create a program to develop producers using that studio? How much would you charge us for that? Mm. If I had been in Washington and it wasn't <laughs> right. public access, it would have been 30000 a month. Mm. As it was, it wasn't anywhere near that. Right. It, it, it was enough to, and, and I spent most of it, whatever I earned from them, I spent most of it on a studio anyway. But I agreed as long as the, as, and this was not unusual for me, as long as the contract didn't go beyond 12 months. I always liked putting limitations on it mm-hmm. so that they didn't get crazy and say, oh, well, we like you. We're just going to keep you in that position because that's not what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So uh, so uh, I, I said, I'll need three months to bring the studio back uh, to full utilization, make sure all the equipment works, makes the lighting, everything is work, all the buttons work, et cetera, et cetera. And in that time- So this was 2012. Ugh. You're I'm better at dates. Like March 2012. I remember that they had that meeting where they brought in people who wanted to be producers, and that was in June of 2012. Well, so my job was not only to bring that, re-engineer that studio, so it was in working condition with four and cameras. That meeting was on Third Street. Did you have anything to do with Third Street? Uh, I did the lighting at Third Street. I did all the lighting and did all the camera. I made it work with their uh, switcher. Yeah. And did all the lighting. That's why those soft boxes are at Third Street. That's, that's all my. I spent, uh, you know, three weekends over at Third Street doing all the lighting for them. It was really funny because there was one point at which I'm a lad on a ladder, twenty feet in the air. There's, I don't know, seven or eight guys standing around looking at me. You know, how many guys does it take to screw in a soft box? <laughs> and I looked down and I said, "Does it bother anyone that the oldest guy in the room is at the top of the twenty foot ladder?" You know. Well, you're the only one knows how to do that. Um, you're the <laughs> and, okay. And at some point, I, I mean, was right. That's then what, that's when you come down and you say, "Well, it's time that somebody, somebody else, else learns." Learned. Right. <laughs> so, uh, also during the first three months of re-engineering the facility and bring it back to working, I had to develop a program for uh, developing producers, mm-hmm. a complete program for developing courses schedules, things like that. So by June, we were ready to pitch it and let them know that they could, again, they had to sign up. They had to go through the training, I think a minimum of four or five courses that introduced it to them. We had some, some, we had a small rebellion where people who had worked on the, in for the previous 
administration weren't happy with the fact that they had to learn how to do things that they were going to commit to schedules, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. But, and we had some people drop out and I ended up facing some questions at the, um, Albuquerque city council, because they reported like, Oh, we have this lady and she's been doing this for three years. And, and, you know, she didn't actually have a show. She would just get on and complain about her ailments, basically. (laughs) What it boiled down to. Look lady, go get on YouTube. (laughs) Yeah. And this was, that was the other thing. They weren't, they weren't really aware or sensitive to the fact that the way people consumed uh, visual information was changing. Mm-hmm. They still thought people are going to turn into channel 25 and 26 on cable and watches. And I, one of the things I wanted to do was say, get your, move your programming to YouTube, yeah. move it over there because that's where this is going anyway. And they started doing that. Yeah. And they started, they, they actually did start doing and they that. They did it back and forth. They would right. take things off of YouTube and put things on YouTube. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and it got pretty good. And so I spent a good 12 months there. Uh, I think at the end we had 154 qualified producers. We had a complete working studio. And uh, when I left and, and they asked me to stay on the end, I remember, going to, uh, at, at our weekly, uh, team meetings, I, I said to Rick and John, you know, my contract expires in 30 days. Yeah. And I think they, they both kind of panicked and they looked at each other and they said, well, what do we have to do to extend it? And I said, no, 12 months is 12 months. Everything I promised you is in place and more. And, um, I'm moving on. And by that time, I think within a couple of months, the West contract came up doing yeah. the same thing, re-engineering that studio. Yeah. Uh, but that was just a series of uh, problems without anyone around to resolve them. Mm-hmm. It's not that I didn't have television studio experience because I had worked at public access in uh, Miami, San Francisco, and Fairfax before that. Um, and always enjoyed it and learned a lot from each one of those. Uh, but this was a situation where the equipment, like I said, had been collecting dust. They, uh, the previous administration just never used that studio. And the other thing too is the uh, the kind of the rule of public access is if you don't use it, then the cable company who's funding this to the tune of several hundred thousand dollars a year mm-hmm. will figure out a way to take it away from sure. you so they don't the have to pay for it. The same as working in university. Yeah, yeah. You they, don't use it, you do lose the same it. thing, yeah. Right. So uh, that was the that was good experience, and it was very different from my government experience because it wasn't as rigorous. It was a very, I think, my contract was like three pages, and it had you know, please do this, please do this, and please do this, and if you do that, we'll be happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I did. I, yeah. You know, I think they were. I think, I think, they regretted that. I didn't want to stay, and I think they kind of took it. Well, you were the most experienced person there right. in public access television, right. or, or of any kind. Right. They just they were brand new at it, and uh, and unfortunately, they went on and they kind of fell into that old trap where they were doing certain kind of programming, but not you know not involving producers, not getting to YouTube, things like that. And eventually, this last iteration, they lost the contract back to the old company mm. and or, or the old administration mm-hmm. and i haven't heard about it since yeah. i haven't seen you know yeah. it takes a lot of uh, organization yeah. and a lot of drive to keep it going yeah. but i do remember uh, that as a producer i was one of the few people who got a show done because i got started before they started putting up roadblocks right 
and bottlenecks yeah. and you had to do it with the you had to have this kind of intro and this kind of and you had to talk with their graphics person right you know now we had all of the 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 professional pieces in place yeah. and i think other people did as well but uh, it wasn't they decided or changed their minds or right. whatever they decided oh we need to have this this theme throughout everything so y'all got to change everything now by the time i left not only did i have 154 qualified producers we had built up 33 programs and they 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 were a range of programs from you know religious television on sundays to sports to productions like yours, talk to shows, uh, yeah. talk shows, to uh, Janet's solar uh, energy program. Uh, uh, what was it? Uh, something New Mexico, Solar New Mexico. Yeah. That Sh Sean hosted. Right. So, um, so we had a big variety. Of, oh, uh, um, what's her name? The uh, the one of the dead people. What's what's her name? Oh, Gail Rubin. Gail Rubin. I just loved that show. That was so well planned. Uh, but that was a that was a series that was right. That was a, we shot thirteen episodes in right. in a week and a half. I think it was thirteen ep complete episodes. Right. So uh, and that was fun. So it wasn't like Sean and Jason where they had regular weekly she gave programming. Me the DVDs. She did. Yeah. I I bless her heart. Yeah. She's a good uh, person. What's it called again? Oh. What did? What did? I don't know. She talks about dying and death and preparing for it. And uh, she she had that saying that just because, just like uh, you don't get pregnant from talking about it, you're not yeah. going to die just because you're talking about right. death. And, and she was really so good. De death to talk about it. Death becomes you. Death something like that. She wrote the book, and uh, she was an expert at preparing for. She had, she had survived cancer, right? Something like that. I think so. And yeah. she was an expert at it. What was really funny is I was working in the control room, which had a, a, a window between us and the studio. And every once in a while, Jason and Sean would be there to help me because they loved the production side of it as well. And she would say something and Sean would go, you know, like, you need to do whatever she's saying right there before you. It's so funny. Well, I'll have to get the DVDs out. We'll watch them again. Yeah. It's been a while. What? I can't remember the name of the show. It was a fun show. Anyway, there were 33 active good programs. Good goodbye. A good goodbye. 154, um, 154 producers and uh, 33 active programs because it was about organization mm -hmm. and it was about getting people to believe that you knew what you were talking about. Mm -hmm. So when you told them, if you take these four courses, by the end of these four courses, you can call yourself a producer. Yeah. If you don't have those four courses, then you're just somebody dabbling in public access and your program is going to turn out. And I couldn't let that happen. Right. It was either. And that's where I got in trouble with the uh, with the uh, city council, because I was insisting that everybody who had a program prior to that had to go through the four courses. Mm -hmm. And some people were going to the city council, their city council members and saying, this guy is forcing me to do this. And I did and it. It wasn't it like years. it was costing them anything. No, no. They were the, free classes. No. Well, they were. Well, I used to charge $10. Well, when you started off, they were free. Right. And what they, happened if they is. They had gotten in there right at the beginning. And done the classes, you probably wouldn't have charged to begin with. Well, here's the, I charged only because people would sign up and not show up. Yeah. So I started charging for the classes. And then at some point I said, all right, if you can't pay for it, bring a can of food mm -hmm. and I'll donate that to the food uh, pantry. Right. To the food. Right. And I think the money you did collect just went to like toilet paper and. Yeah. It went to like supplies. It anyway. went to, yeah, it went to maintenance and supplies. Yeah. 
yeah. keeping the bathrooms. Because I did everything. Stuff. I mean, I was the, you know, not only did I have to buy the stuff to clean the bathroom, I had to clean the bathroom. Oh my goodness. So, uh, but I, I get, I got a lot of volunteer help. I'd always say if you're here on Thursdays, if you can be here on Thursdays, it's, it's housekeeping day and, you know. Yeah. I got the mop in the bucket. You always if you, had a real good attitude, man. Yeah. I've never had, I mean, it's hard for get to get me in a bad attitude <laughs> unless you're shooting at me and then I'm going to yell back at you. Yeah. So within that, that job, within the job that you had at West, reconfiguring, re overhauling their studio, making everything integrated work together within those uh, positions, what kind of problems did you solve that helped you going forward to, you know, to be able to solve future tech problems? So uh, it's interesting. So when you look at the facility that they had at public access, the mm -hmm. 500 C street, um, their equipment was current to about 2010, right? Now it would last a lot longer. There's no reason. It was an HD, you know, the camera. It was cameras. all usable. Yeah, it was all usable. It was HD by that time, so it was an SD. They had great uh, Blackmagic equipment in the uh, in the director's uh, studio, so they had a lot of equipment that was pretty good for that period in time. Mm -hmm. For the, you know, it was there was better after 2010, but that's where they stopped at 2010. The advantage to going on to um, uh, West was they had spent $250,000 on equipment and building out the studio and the equipment was still in boxes in the storage room next to the studio. And that equipment was circa 2013, 2014. So although it had this very similar brand names like Blackmagic um, and, and Panasonic cameras, and things like that, they were the next iterations of all of this. And there were slight changes, you know, SDI connections instead of HDMI connections. And their studio was, they, they had the Ray studio behind the bleachers that rolled out. So they had this wonderful studio with wonderful lighting and expensive rollout bleachers and, and equipment control room and the control above. room yeah. that was filled with audio and video production equipment that wasn't connected to anything. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that the, the interesting thing about that is, although it wasn't, you know, there were points at which after I inventoried all the equipment and kind of drew the diagram, I still have pictures of it. As a matter of fact, after I inventoried all the equipment and I drew the diagram of how it was going to work, I realized that they were still missing other equipment. Right. And it was about $30,000 worth of really, really important equipment. And I yeah. had to go tell them that, you know, like, mm -hmm. I know you spent $250,000 and, and because this was a non- they overbought lights yeah. and they oh. underbought speaker. Right. Monitor, studio monitors. Needed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, so not only was this equipment in boxes, a lot of it was equipment that would never be used. Field equipment. Yeah. 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 There was a lot of that. Remember there were Apple had, boxes. There was things uh, C that stands. Would, right. There was <laughs> All kinds of things. And that was because no it was, what's his name? Yeah. Uh, uh, Grub. Not no, it wasn't Grub, uh, it was the other guy. And I can't think of his name right now. I can't either. He had it's a probably better too, that way. We don't uh, have to talk about who, it. <laughs> who was a film guy, not a television guy. He had worked in television. 
the end. Yeah. Well, of course, maybe he accommodated the idea that some television work is done in the field because yeah, there was a true. whole part of the storage room that I would go, if how about if I sell that? Yeah. And then use that and they go, no, nonprofits can't do that. We yeah. have to, we can't just sell it outright like that. Yeah. And that was the thing. All of this stuff had been donated to them. Mm. And as a matter of fact, the, the I can't remember what it was, but when we re- christened the studio it became the such and such studio of, of name because they made the 250,000 and then another I did get my 30,000 mm. uh, another 30,000 because they said you know they explained to him what had happened I'm not sure they told him the absolute truth um, but by the time I left again they had a working studio I remembered his name <laughs> <laughs> But now I don't want to say don't it. Say it yeah. Don't say it. Because <laughs> I'm going to write it wanna, down. Because he, he actually moved to Atlanta, I think. Uh -huh. he, he went to a film because Atlanta, uh, Georgia was getting big into the film industry. And that's I think right. that's why he moved there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so so that caused us through the question. Uh, we don't, we have no idea. Well, I'll answer that question in just a minute, Shamika. Um, so, uh, so we solved that problem. We built out that studio, um, and and they kind of did the same thing to me. It was a, I, I think it was a three month contract. It was very short. It was six. a fixed. It had to be was six it months. six? Yeah, maybe it was six, and it was a fixed price. And again, uh, I wasn't going to profit for it because a lot of it went to the people that I hired to work with me, Sean and right. Sue. And at the end of six months, they said, "Well, okay, what we need now is for you to run this facility." Mm -hmm. And I have, no, I had no desire. They're right. sitting behind this studio council right here is probably as long as I've sat in one place anyway. And I told them I didn't care to, but I would recommend Sean and Sue to do it. Mm -hmm. And they did it for. They had a twelve month contract, and they did it okay. But it was hard. The 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 uh, West was going through a transition right. of going from a nonprofit women's based organization to a profitable business enterprise, uh, you know, enter a business support organization. Right, and um, and the studio was just not going to be used as much. They didn't they didn't make that part of like look if you're going to come in and be a part of this business incubator, you've got yeah. this great studio. Yeah. And I thought, you've got this studio with live streaming capability. You know, you can yeah. make it uh, and try. They just didn't. And I, st I don't well, think they still. Well, I don't think, and this is important for all business people, all entrepreneurs. I don't think they really had a good idea why they needed that studio and what they were going to do with it. What is its purpose? Right. Why do we need it? Is it really important? Um, well, the answer before is. Before they spend all that money on it. The, the answer is what what we've designed and then create a campaign framework, right? That is you create a piece of content um, very easily. You've got a studio. All you have to do is stand up in front of a microphone, beautifully lit with Pope Joy quality lighting and look at the camera and tell your story and put it on YouTube and then put it on podcast. It's, you know, all that facility was there and all you had to do was show up once a week and talk to the camera telling another part of your story. And they just didn't know how to pitch that. They didn't, it wasn't part of business, uh, small business, people that are in business incubators are how to make sales, right? Yeah. And then how to complain about not being able to make sales because 
your marketing. I don't think you have to teach that. I think people just come by that naturally. <laughs> well, pretty soon you find out that without marketing generating prospects, you're not going to have any sales, mm -hmm. no matter how good a product you have. And that's, and that's when people are in incubators, they're, you know, sole proprietors of businesses that they've invented either with a product or a, or a, a an idea. And they just think people are going to love it enough that they're just going to buy it out of hand. And it doesn't work that way. I don't That's care right. how good the product is. Well, getting back to what you learned as you were putting those studios together, what uh, what you were doing in your capacity as a, a uh, developer of producers, mm -hmm. what skills and lessons did you learn that really helped you in the, you know, as you went through the, the following years and, in solving problems. So what made it interesting for me is up until that point, literally up until 2010, I was an independent contractor to a set of agencies that didn't like talking to anybody. And they loved the idea that here was an independent contractor that was going to talk to anybody else anyway. <laughs> so if there was a debate about anything, it was always in some contracting uh, director's office and we could yell all we want. We'd come to a resolution and we'd both walk away quietly. They were happy with what they got. They were happy with what I got. And the only person I could talk to about some of it would be my family. And they didn't give a darn one way or the other. So the difference was here I was having to deal with a lot of different kinds of stakeholders that had uh, an investment in all of this and its success. And my job was to get it done and my normal approach was to get out of my way so I can get this done, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Either what's there's there's saying like, you, you know, get on board or get, get on out board of the way. or get out of the way. There's some <laughs> saying that goes like that, and I used to think it. I never said it out loud because I know that when you're dealing with an organization that's public access, it's not it's not a profit organization. It has people that are responsible to, to, to uh, whatever they do for the cable company that they're working for. Mm -hmm. They don't actually work for the cable company, but to city government. So they have a constituency. Mm -hmm. So what was interesting for me was having to deal with all these stakeholders, all these various entities who all had some part of this or some interest in part of its success, but didn't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. They were, you, you know, as much as I love Rick and John, they weren't the best organizers in the world. Right. They were product guys, right? They film the film industry, let them sell stuff to the film industry. Mm -hmm. So so they weren't the best organizers and and they weren't the best planners. And so when you when they said uh, we need a course, they couldn't even tell you what kind of course they wanted. And then you were dealing with the producers who had come from a mindset of I don't need to know this. I just come in on Wednesday nights and I make my show. And, and sometimes my crew is there. And if they are, we have the show. And sometimes my crew isn't. And if we don't, well, they're not, we don't. Then you go to West, nonprofit. Money is a funny thing in nonprofit organizations. When I saw all that field equipment and I said, that field equipment is $60,000 worth of field equipment. I need $30,000 to finish the studio. Let me sell that. You, there was panic in that room like, oh, no, that's not going to happen. No way we're going to, we can sell that. Why not? Well, because it was given to, we're a nonprofit. It was given to us. We started but selling. But it's just sitting there never going to yeah, be used. Yeah. <laughs> so there was a whole new Wouldn't level of, of yeah. I don't want to call it corporate interaction, but 
stakeholder interaction that I hadn't had experience with in the past and that I took the troubleshooting approach to. What do I have to do to solve this problem and keep this pe- this group of people happy without angering this group of people, you know, mm-hmm. or what do I or, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. And so that interaction of having to solve problems that were people problems and not technical problems still applying troubleshooting you know kind of principles to it like oh well let me see if i try this and what i discovered is one of the things that the way the one of the best things you can do when those things uh, take place is know more about it than they do mm-hmm. and so i always went in with something in writing that said okay here's how i want to do this and when you do that, when you have a plan of some kind, when you have it down on paper, or in my case, presentation mode, because I'd have it on paper and then I'd turn it into presentation and I'd get up there in 20 minutes. By the end of the 20 minutes, they're going like, oh, okay, well, he obviously knows more about this than we do. Uh, let's let him do it. And and so you had to pitch it. Yeah. And I remember having to make the same pitch, not only to the uh, management of uh, the public access station to the management of the local cable company and to the, to the, I was going to say the management, but the uh, uh, city council right? doing the same presentation. I'm, I'm the person that has the record for the longest presentation allowed at the city council, because up until the time I got there, they only allowed you to get up there for two minutes. You had to tell your story in two minutes. Right. And so I had the two minute story. I told the two minute story. And then one of the council members said, wait, that can't be everything. I said, no, but that's what I can tell you in two minutes. And I said, well, go ahead and do the whole presentation. I remember that. Yeah. Because a whole bunch of us went right. to tell other pieces, right. thinking we're only, everybody's only going to get two minutes. Right. And then they let you tell the whole thing. So right. we just sat Kind of sat back and not had it. to worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we had a plan. I remember that. We, we had a plan. So uh, that was the benefit of doing it like that. And again, the, the part of me that loves troubleshooting and the part of me that loves helping other people, uh, because these were all, you know, West at the time was a, uh, a nonprofit that supported uh, women building their own business. How could I turn that down, you know? And the public access station was trying to get programming on the air that was public programming, no matter what the topic was. And I, I had real interesting conversations with guys that just wanted to talk about uh, marijuana. Mm-hmm. And I made a show out of it for them. And I told them how they were going to do it without looking like a bunch of stoners. Stoners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got some comments going on there. How about okay, we let's see what we got. See if we have anything we need to address. Let me see. Shamika Langford, what do these people still make videos about fan treasure? I have no idea. We, Shamika, we. Because other people show up and watch it. Exactly. And that's, that's enough encouragement to keep them going. Yeah. So MJ says, hi, Toby and Shelly and hey. group. She's in. There's just saying hi to each other. Let's see. I think that's, uh, that's uh, what we got there. So, yeah. Um, uh, Shamika, the, the, we can't answer that question because. I just answered it. Oh, okay. Because other people show up and watch it. Right. And they're going to keep doing it until nobody shows up anymore. <laughs> that's how it is. So we're just going to keep doing this because we love it. We love what we do. We love helping other people. Right. And we love talking about what we're talking about. So um, so I know that people come to you. Um, for instance, Cheryl Brown comes to you 
says, I have a GoPro, it's not working, or it's not working the way I want it to, or we need lighting, or uh, we're going to need somebody with a drone, What? and they come to you. Uh, everybody goes to Toby for answers, right? From Public to West to uh, Cheryl Brown or Cheryl and Coffee uh, to me. Janet, to you. <laughs> but we all come to you because we have great confidence that you will find an answer to our problem. So what do you do with that? So I, I think there's at least three elements to that. Number one, I still have a hard problem turning anybody down, right? It's hard for me to say, sorry, can't help you. I don't think I've ever done that, actually. <laughs> uh, even to people Unless who, you can help them because you don't know right. how. And, and, and I will be honest with you, you know, I don't know how to help you with that. I've never had any experience, but let me see if I can find somebody to do that for you. So that's always an alternative. So that's the first thing. It's hard for me to turn anyone down. When it's a woman, it's especially hard because I know it's hard for them to ask a man. I don't, I don't mean it's difficult, but it's, you know, you, they don't want to be put down for not knowing how to fix a schmozzle on a doop hickey, you know? <laughs> okay. And uh, so it's especially hard for them. And I had this experience with my daughters. My daughters were like that, mm. you know, where they were, dad, I, I don't know. Can I, can I help me with this? And I, I don't know, dad, you may not, I don't know if I can get there, you know, that the nervous nerves associated with asking for somebody else for help. And I think it's especially hard for women asking men. And I have a spot, a soft spot when it comes to that. And I think it comes from raising four daughters. And so when, uh, especially someone like Janet um, or Cheryl or you uh, ask for help, it's real easy for me to say uh, yes. The second thing, or the third thing is that, uh, it gives me the opportunity to stay on top of things because generally speaking, when they're bringing something to me, it's a problem that they don't have an answer to because they picked up a new piece of technology or they picked up a new idea that requires new technology that they kind of don't know what it is. I, you know, and it's not that I have an experience. Do I have experience with GoPros? Yes. Do I have experience with Osmo Pockets? Yes. Do I have experience with drones? Yes. Did I have a experience with a Zoom PodTrack before? No, but I went out and bought one, learned how to use it. And I, I'm confident that I'm as, as good with a Zoom PodTrack. I can answer any question on a Zoom PodTrack before, and I can on a Roadcaster Pro or this said headset or StreamYard. And that's because uh, the technology, I'm not intimidated by the technology. It's been, it, it's easy for me to look at something and say, oh, okay, I can either, you, and you've probably seen my attitude, I either like a piece of technology or I don't like it. And it doesn't have anything to do with, this is hard to learn, hard to use, or to, it's whether it fits into the way I do things or not. You know, app, uh, we were using that application this afternoon, um, uh, Blaster, what? Oh, uh, thumbnail blaster. Yeah. So I used that for a while. It was kind of cool. But then uh, I got comfortable. I I, I got um, Snappa. Really? Yeah. Liked the way it worked. It was more in line with the way that I did things. And I haven't been back to thumb blaster since, you know, until today. And it's not because I don't know how to use it. It's because I found something that worked my way. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the big thing. And But when somebody comes and asks you for the favor of helping them, I I don't I think it's rare that I don't help them. 
um, even even if I don't know about what's going on, because it gives me the opportunity to find out what's going on. It, that's rare. It's rare that I don't know, uh, because I've I've used so many products, both uh, software and hardware products, audio, video production products. You know, I built a a Black Magic live streaming kit that should have been the size of a small van into a two foot by two foot cube. And, and we did dozens of efforts with that and it worked. It worked every time. The only well. stumbling block was a <laughs> as long as the internet hotels. worked. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but so I, I learned a lot about live streaming uh, from that. A lot of people, you, you may not know this story, but the reason I got into live streaming, I'd actually worked on the live streaming team in Washington back on, in, I, it was either 2008 or 2009 before I went to Afghanistan. And uh, it required a truckload full of equipment and 10 or 11 um, team members. And I thought, gee, this is never going to go anywhere if it's required like this. Well, by 2014, when Forrest Venn asked me to live stream his uh, giveaway event, uh, it had been reduced. Raffle. Pardon me? Raffle. Raffle. Uh, for, uh, what's your name? The, the bronze jar for Raynell Jacobson. The technology had been reduced to a red box that big. And I thought, cool, but the back end stuff was that. The red box was expected to be tied to one camera. I started wondering, how do I do this with four cameras, audio, multiple microphones? And that's how we ended up with a two by uh, two by two foot cube, which handled those kinds of situations. But it started with that little red box. At that point, at the point that I started, which was January, I think the, the event was January 14th. Between January 14th and my birthday. You mean 2014? Oh, oh, I mean, okay. No. The Renell Jacobson event mm -hmm. was uh, was January 14th. Of, it was more like 4th, but it, it's okay. I don't know. It was early in January, early 2014. January. Right. By my birthday, my 65th birthday, at which I was going to, supposed to retire, on January 17th, I announced a new business called Streaming New Mexico based on this little box. And what I would do, the, I made it probably $10,000, $12,000 investment in putting it all together, and we went to town. And Shelly was part of it. Shelly was definitely part of the team. That's right. I did so, a lot of the interviews. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> Live interviews. That's so I think part of it is not, not being afraid to take on those kinds of challenges, knowing there's nothing... You, you may spend some money. You, it has to be money that you're willing to lose if necessary. Mm. It didn't, it, I didn't lose it and uh, made it back. Um, and then doing it until you realize eh, it's time to go do something else. Yeah. So. Yeah. Because at that point, YouTube was starting, starting to, to blossom. Facebook was starting to uh, yeah. do live streaming and, yeah. So I don't know how many of you know this story. After we sold Streaming New Mexico, Shelly and I probably didn't have much in the way of communications between the time it was sold in like October of 2016. And then when did you call me? January of 2017. And she said, we need to start a YouTube channel on, on, uh, no, first... I said you need to start hunting for the treasure again. Oh, right. So that we could have a YouTube channel. And then we decided we wanted to do right. live streaming on YouTube. And then we decided we would do it. About that, right? So yeah. let's see if we have any other comments. I'm that confident we that um, get into. If you guys have any questions about technology, uh, live streaming, podcasting, or blogging technology, or anything related to that, please put them into the uh, 
the chat. We'd love to answer them for you. So just say hi to South Bernard Africa. Gelderblom from Welcome, South Africa. Bernard. Thank Welcome. you for being here. Yeah, thank you for joining us tonight. So, um, so if you take all of that experience and put it to what in uh, what we're doing right now, basically we offer uh, what I would call three products. Uh, starting from the top is the creative campaign framework, right? So create one piece of content, leverage it into a lot of other pieces of content. Mm -hmm. But without you having a live stream to be able to create that initial piece of content, then you don't have a way to do that. And that becomes the problem. The problem that people have to face is, you know, you talk about your creative campaign from how to distribute it to podcasts and, and blogs and 60 second promos, et cetera. But I don't even have a way to produce the first thing because live streaming for me right now is I go to YouTube. You know, I live stream to YouTube or I live stream to Facebook. Mm -hmm. Right now, you and I are using StreamYard to live stream to one, two, four, five, six, seven different locations, seven different channels on Facebook and YouTube. And we could do Twitch if we wanted, but we just, we don't, we don't we find only do 20, 20, Twitch is in our audience. That's right. And uh, there will be others eventually because each of the big platforms is incorporating live streaming into their product line. LinkedIn is going to have, once they get their act together, it'll have a live streaming facility. Well, they have live streaming on LinkedIn, but it's a limited, you know, it's one of those beta rollout things. Right. Yeah. Uh, Twitch um, is is going to have it. Um, Amazon. I'm, I'm sorry, not Twitch. Uh, Twitter. Who yeah. bought I I uh, who bought Periscope? Twitter owns yeah. Periscope. So that's what they're going to do. But right do. now they're doing audio. Right. They are doing audio, the social audio. We talked about that last week. Amazon is starting to offer a live service for certain right. certain of its uh, influencers. So this is this is the, the time has passed where you can say, oh, this is an idea whose time has come. The idea came. It's <laughs> behind us now. If you're not part of the live streaming generation, if you're not using live streaming as an inherent part of your product marketing strategy, you're already behind the eight ball now. The challenge for a lot of people is how do I build out a studio that looks like Toby's and Shelly's studio? You don't have to. We offer that. The second service that we offer is we offer the studio service. We offer the ability to, to have we a show have a like this. We have a little video about that. Pardon me? We have a little video. You know about what? That. I'm going to play that video right <laughs> Aren't you good? Nah. Here's our, here you, you don't can, have to talk about it. You can hear the story. I'm not going to have to talk about it. Have you ever had a fantastic idea for a Facebook group, YouTube channel, podcast, online course, workshop, or an entire business, but gave up on it because of the online technology involved in making it happen? Or have you started the process only to find it requires an incredible amount of time, effort, and expense to create valuable digital content? Investing in this kind of social media content creation often means you use up all your resources wrangling technology instead of working with clients or sharing your message. Hi, I'm Shelley Carney with AGK Media Studio, your online solution to live streaming or recording video and audio presentations. The AGK Media Studio can put you in front of your audience immediately and eliminate the confusion and frustration of every erratic social media platform and unpredictable software integration. When you produce your videos with AGK Media Studio, you're the expert producer and we're your crew. 
We're here to support you and handle all the tech so you can focus on your topic and your audience. With our streamlined process, there's no editing necessary and your videos are ready as soon as you finish your presentation. Working with us means you can produce consistent, high-quality, live, interactive online videos now, today. We take care of the tech with our VIP service and give you a professional look that inspires admiration and respect. It starts with preparation. We will validate and certify your home office and branding for professional video best practices. Next is the production phase, where we record your presentation while embedding your branding and music into your video for a polished finish. Then, when you finish recording, you'll immediately receive video and audio files ready to upload to your channel or online teaching platform. What would it mean for your business if you could complete and upload all the video materials you need in just a few hours? Schedule a consultation call with AGK Media Studio today and let's start live streaming or recording your video tomorrow. Yeah. So, so we have clients who produce their own live streams, in one case, their own uh, video. What do you need? We'll put the chat back up because there's chat going on. Oh, okay. Sorry. No. Didn't mean to. Um, so we have clients who are producing their own, uh, in one case, monthly live streams, and in another case, uh, weekly live streams. Uh, and you wouldn't know that they're basically using our facilities to do that. We handle all the behind the scenes production up to and including starting the program, streaming it to their channels, and then ending the program for them with all the assets that you see, music and uh, logos and uh, things like that. Then we take the audio and upload it to their podcast. Podcast. And that's where the creative campaign framework comes in. But at some point, we can't produce your initial piece of content. It has to be you, right? Once you do that, once you've produced that initial uh, piece of content, whether it is pre-recorded or live stream, then you have a way to jump into the creative campaign framework, which is uh, the second product we offer. That's how we help you do that. Uh, live streaming is number one, but there's a third piece to that and it's troubleshooting. And the people who become uh, members of our masterclass uh, actually get access to our troubleshooting efforts. So whenever they have a problem, they can schedule a call and we can walk them through troubleshooting that problem until it re is resolved. Now, I'll be honest with you, we have had situations where the resolution was um, press this button and turn your microphone around this way and you'll be fine. And we've had solutions where I had to say, you bought the wrong product. Um, and I don't like saying that, but there's points at which you have to be honest with your client to do that. So those are services we offer to our clients and they're happy with them. And the benefit is what they're getting is the benefit of, you know, I was going to say 35, but that was my career. It's now um, <laughs> 45, 45 years worth of experience doing this. Um, and the openness and willingness to help others uh, because that's, you know, that's the benefit I get. That's how I can uh, go to sleep at night and and uh, sleep well, knowing that I've helped, helped others to do this. So do we have any questions? Let me see. Got a question. 
Bernard says, thank you. Been a rough couple of weeks. What are they talking about? Yeah, isn't that a nice clip, MJ? That's a good one. Um, so, uh, Shamika, I'm not intentionally uh, ignoring your questions, uh, madam. The simple fact of the matter is this show is not about the topic that you're asking questions about. Um, I'm going to see. We don't have that. We're show. happy to answer any questions about technology, live yeah. streaming, blogging, and podcasting. Right. And um, and it's not that I'm ignoring you. It's just that that's not what the topic of this show is called, Messages and Methods. Um, and it's about the creative campaign framework, live streaming, podcasting, and troubleshooting. So, and it has nothing to do with that other uh, topic. So, but there are shows that yeah, do cover that uh, topic that I'm yeah. sure um, that I'm sure would be, uh, happy, happy to help you with your questions. Mm -hmm. So Absolutely. we have, we, as of June 6th last year, we have no opinions on the matter. So <laughs> we've, we've got, we're busy with other things. We've, yeah. we've moved on. Yeah. All right. All right. Final words. Any more questions? Anything I can help you with? Okay. I care about your show. Well, thank you. Okay, here we go. What's the difference? Uh, answer this. What's the difference between podcast and streaming? All right. So what we're doing here is streaming. It's live. And uh, you can watch it on YouTube or Facebook. That's where we're streaming to. And we're using a product called StreamYard to enable us to do that easily and professionally. A podcast is audio only. And what you do is you create an audio file, which is what we'll take from our stream at the end. Uh, StreamYard allows us to download the audio file of this show. Then we will upload it to our distributor, which we use, anchor.fm. And Anchor takes that and hosts it for us, as well as distributing it to a variety of podcast platforms, including Spotify and Google Play. Uh, so a podcast, then you can download into your phone and just listen to it anytime you at your, want. At your own convenience, right. Right. Uh, whereas with video, you're more likely to sit still for uh, podcasts are popular because you can download it, take it with you, listen to it in your car or on the walk. So let me give you an example of what Shelly's talking about. This is our uh, site on Anchor FM. This is HK Media Studio. And we post uh, the audio versions of all our shows on uh, this channel on Anchor FM. And if you want to listen to it, you can go to any of these uh, uh, podcast distributors, Breaker, uh, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, uh, Radio Public, Spotify, and uh, RSS, a copy of our RSS feed. But every one of our shows, once we're finished, uh, except, well, no, the two shows. No, the three shows, mm -hmm. right? All three go uh, The, the uh, Podcasting and Livestreaming Channel, Messages and Methods, and Shelly Carney Livestream Coach. Mm -hmm. Uh, go to the HK Media, Media Studio in the form of podcasts. And one of the benefits of using StreamYard is at the end of this show, when we say end the broadcast, 
it saves an audio file. So all we have to do is download that file, upload it to Anchor, and we have a podcast for tonight's uh, show. And so uh, the podcast isn't live. It's pre-recorded, and you listen to it at your convenience. Now, you can do that. You know some of you are watching us on YouTube right now. Uh, you know that eventually this video will be on the YouTube channel as well. But uh, with a podcast, you can download that podcast onto your smart device and listen to it when you're working out or cooking or whatever you're doing. So, uh, But that's the beginning of the creative campaign framework. Shelly then takes that audio file, she transcribes it in a product called Descript, and she posts it to a blog. And so the creative campaign framework is how to take that one piece of content, your stream, your live stream, and turn it into dozens of other pieces of content to increase your, uh, your presence uh, on, your, on the various social media platforms. That's what it's all about. It's the same as people prefer different ways of communication. Some people will Facebook message me. Some people email me. Some people want to text or call. Uh, and each person is different as to what they prefer as a communication method. They also uh, prefer different ways of in, you know, ingesting content. So they may prefer to watch a video, they may prefer to listen to a podcast, or they may prefer to read an article like our blog. Um, so we try to make that available to everybody so that anybody who's interested can enjoy our content, right? In, in whatever is their preferred method. And hopefully whatever is their preferred platform. So we're available on Facebook. We have a presence on Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, and uh, a little bit on TikTok and <laughs> a little bit on Twitter, Twitter and a little bit Instagram. on Instagram. Did you Twitch, say Instagram? Yeah. And you know, we're out there. People can find us and uh, hopefully we hit some of you where you enjoy it the most. And that sounded dirty. <laughs> Time to leave. <laughs> I'm going to give you an out here. <laughs> and thank you for being here tonight. We really appreciate you and all your great chat tonight. Thanks so much for that as well. We will be back tomorrow, Thursday, on the Shelly Carney Livestream Coach channel, as well as our Facebook presence, uh, including our Facebook group, Leveraging Your Content. So if you're interested in becoming a part of that group, go to Facebook, check that out, Leveraging Your Content, and we'd love to have you there. Uh, tomorrow, we'll be talking about how the entrepreneur, the home-based entrepreneur, can set up their studio, their home studio, and all the pieces that work well together, and so that you have the fewest technology problems possible. So I hope that you'll join us for that if you are interested in creating a home studio for yourself. Anything else? Good night, Shelley. Good night, Toby. <laughs> Good night, group. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you for joining us for the AGK Media Studio podcast with Shelley Carney and Toby Eunice. Please subscribe, leave a great review, and comment with questions or ideas for future shows. 
share our podcast with your family and friends and discover how you can become a creative campaign producer at agkmedia.studio or join our Facebook group, Leveraging Your Content. Check the show notes for links and resources and please come back again next week.